Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati, Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Be sure to sign up for that newsletter, connect with us on social media, and join the travel club. You can do them all at TravelingCulturati.com. A medical emergency is scary enough when you're at home, but if you're on vacation and are traveling abroad in a foreign country, it can be that much more frightening. Today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como is here. In her installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel, she gives us travel planning and managing if you find yourself in the emergency room while you're on vacation. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into some travel news. This country now has the most powerful passport in the world due to the pandemic. And if you're thinking it's the United States, no. The Passport Index has named a new most powerful passport in the world. The Passport Index puts out a real-time global ranking of the world's passports. And since the pandemic, countries have shut down borders to travelers from other nations, changing the power of that passport. The power of the passport is typically based on how many countries a nation's passport can travel to without restriction. Now, this includes borders that are open or closed to certain nations due to the pandemic. The nation at the top with the most powerful passport that also allows people to travel to more countries than any other country is New Zealand. New Zealand's passport had previously held the number one spot alongside of Japan. However, due to the coronavirus pandemic, Japan slipped into the number two spot alongside of Australia, Germany, Switzerland, Luxembourg, and Ireland. Now, according to the rankings, those holding a New Zealand passport can now travel to 129 countries with visa-free access. And this is up from just 80 countries six months ago. Now, according to the New Zealand Herald, the current access number for New Zealand is 40% down from the nation's previous restriction-free travel to New Zealanders for over the past year. Who's now in third place for the most powerful passport? The index lists Sweden, Belgium, France, Finland, Italy, and Spain. They are all tied in third place. Tying for fourth place are the United Kingdom, Netherlands, Denmark, Portugal, Lithuania, Norway, Iceland, and Canada. Now, I know what you're asking. Well, where is the United States in all of this? Well, the USA is currently sitting in 21st place, falling from the top 10 list. The Passport Ranking Organization is quoted saying, the data is clear. With temporary travel bans and visa restrictions, many countries which once held a powerful passport are now ranking amongst the lowest in the world. Through another lens, Passport Index shows the clear influence of the pandemic with its World Openness Score, referred to as WOS. The benchmark of open travel between countries since its inception in 2015, the WOS has continued to increase at an average rate of 6% per year, reaching an all-time world openness of 54% back in December 2019. However, now in the post-pandemic world, the WOS saw a staggering decrease, dropping 65% within weeks. Now TSA hits the highest airport checkpoint volume. TSA hits the highest airport checkpoint volume since April. On October 11, the Transportation Security Administration screened 984,354 passengers at the U.S. airport checkpoints, the highest number since April 14th, and the third time out of the previous four days that passengers' volume exceeded 900,000. 
The numbers, while continuously trending upwards, are still down from the 2.55 million the TSA screened on the same day a year prior. Still, the numbers do show significant improvement from the spring when the volume was as low as 90,510 on April 12 and 87,534 on April 14. The improvement in numbers is also showing in consumer sentiment. According to the October edition of MMGY's Travel Intentions Pulse Survey, which queried 1,200 active travelers, more and more consumers are increasingly feeling more comfortable taking a domestic leisure trip. According to MMGY's data, 46% of respondents say they are likely to take a domestic trip over the next six months. That's up from 42% in the previous survey for September and up significantly from 31% in April. Most of the respondents are still favoring traveling by personal car at 70%, but the likelihood of taking a domestic flight is also up to a level not seen since March. Then it was 38% of 1,200 respondents who said they plan to take a domestic flight in the next six months, and that's up from a low of 31% in July. The most important factor in the decision to travel, according to MMGY's survey, is now the availability of a vaccine, which 56% said is the biggest factor influencing that decision. Vaccine availability was followed by the slowdown of COVID-19 spread in the U.S. at 50% and the slowdown of COVID-19 spread worldwide at 50% and the easing of state and local health department guidelines. That came in at 41%. A tourist who stole ancient objects from the archeological site of Pompeii in Southern Italy has returned them saying they bring bad luck. The Canadian woman identified as Nicole snagged the items 15 years ago when she was in her early 20s. However, she blames the theft for unfortunate events in her life, including serious health issues and financial difficulties. After 15 years of misfortune, Nicole decided the cursed pilfered artifacts were responsible. They had so much negative energy, she said in her letter, linked to the land of destruction. Nicole returned the two mosaic tiles, ceramic fragments, and pieces of an amphora to the ancient city via a travel agent in Pompeii. Along with the package, she attached a letter of confession expressing regret for her actions. In the letter she wrote, I was young and stupid. I wanted to have a piece of history that nobody could have. Nicole apologized for her actions in her letter, saying she was seeking forgiveness from God. The surprise parcel to the Pompeii travel agent also contained some stones taken by another Canadian couple in 2005 and an accompanying apology letter that stated, we took the stones without thinking of the pain and suffering of those poor souls. We are sorry. Please forgive us for making this terrible choice. May their souls rest in peace. Pompeii's park officials said they received volumes of artifacts sent back, often with accompanying confessional letters. There is now a dedicated museum at the archeological site. Well, Yelp is now flagging businesses accused of racist behavior. Yelp will alert users when a business has been accused of egregious racist behavior in a credible newsletter. The company announced the prominent reviews platform to make such a move in the wake of racial justice and protests across the United States. A Yelp spokesperson told Forbes magazine that a team of human moderators will place a notice on a business's Yelp page stating, business accused of racial behavior alert. If there's resounding evidence of egregious racist actions from a business owner or employee, such as using overtly racist slurs or symbols, the alert will include a link to a credible news outlet where users can read about the accusations in detail. Since Yelp doesn't allow users to leave reviews based solely on media reports, the company hopes the alert system will help customers make decisions about whether they'll be welcome and safe at a particular business. 
There are still questions about moderation, including what counts as resounding evidence in a news story and what media outlets Yelp considers credible or exactly how long a notification will remain on a business's page. A Yelp spokesperson said the alerts will be rare and can appear for days or several weeks as it removes reviews that aren't based on firsthand experience. If the business takes public corrective action, such as firing an offending employee, the alert will be downgraded to a public attention alert, which warns users that someone associated with the business was accused or the target of racist behavior. Now, Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, right-wing pundits slammed the announcement, arguing businesses could be hurt by false or disputed accusations. What are the odds that this isn't insanely abused? And Yelp quoted back, at Yelp, we value diversity, inclusion, and belonging, both internally, mm, both internally and on our platform which means we have a zero tolerance policy to racism. Vice President of User Operations said in a blog post, we know these values are important to our users and now more than ever, consumers are increasingly conscious of the types of businesses they patronize and support. Well, airlines are testing an app to help verify passengers' COVID-19 test results. In hopes of making pandemic travel easier, airlines are testing an app to verify passengers' COVID test results. The app, Common Pass, will verify that passengers have tested negative for COVID-19. When a passenger uploads a negative test result from an approved lab in the app, they'll receive a QR code that can then be scanned during travel. The app is being tested with United Airlines, with passengers traveling between London and New York. In another part of the world, Cathay Pacific is testing the app with passengers traveling between Hong Kong and Singapore. If all goes well, the app could be embraced and rolled out across additional airlines and routes. The chief medical officer of the Commons Project said, Without the ability to trust COVID-19 tests and eventually vaccine records across international borders, many countries will feel compelled to retain full travel bans and mandatory quarantines for as long as the pandemic persists. The Common Pass hopes to make it easier for travelers to keep up with what can be rapidly changing travel restrictions. The app was created by the World Economic Forum and the Commons Project Foundation, a Swiss nonprofit, and eventually plans to include vaccination records. Lastly, Southwest Airlines adds more big hub airports to its route network. In recent years, Southwest has become more comfortable operating in big hub airports. However, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, it has become way more aggressive, making plans to launch service to Miami International Airport, Chicago O'Hare International Airport, and Houston's George Bush International Airport. The airline was previously flying into these cities, but to their secondary airports like Fort Lauderdale, servicing Miami area, in, at Midway in Chicago, and Houston's Hobby Airport versus Houston's George Bush Intercontinental Airport. They will continue to service those airports, respectively. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, connect with me on social media, and join the travel club. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. We're adding essential oils to our travel list. Essential oils have great benefits for various aspects of your travel. In an excerpt of wellandgood.com, certified aromatherapist at the New York Institute of Aromatherapy, Amy Galper, 
keeps seven oils within reach when she travels. She says there's an oil for every travel woe. Her seven essential oils are pink grapefruit, rosemary, helichrysum, sandalwood, lavender, chamomile, and frankincense. And she uses sandalwood, lavender, or frankincense to calm any jitters. Frankincense, helichrysum, and pink grapefruit oils on her lower back and neck for stiffness. Lavender or rosemary on her scalp to temper the altitude discomfort. And frankincense, lavender, and chamomile for sleeping. So they're easily packable. You can have them in small dosage. All you need is a dab or two here or there, either on your temples, on your wrists, behind your ear, or just under your nose, especially for lavender to help with the calming. Make sure you visit my blog at advantage-intl.com, Javon's blog, for a list of all of the benefits of the seven essential oils. And because they come in three ounce or less size bottles and only require those few drops that I talked about, they make excellent travel companions. They pack huge benefits. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. We all hope that our travel plans go off without a hitch. However, we know that this won't always be true and sometimes something major will happen. Today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como is back with Staying Healthy While You Travel. And in this installment, we learn how to plan, what to do, and what to expect should your vacation send you to the emergency room. Well, hello, Yolanda, and welcome back. Yes, hello, Javon. I'm glad to be back. How are you? I am great. We took a bit of a hiatus from your segment, of course, both of us staying safe. And even today, we're recording with you by phone, which is great because we also just need to stay connected and stay current with our staying healthy while travel. And I will tell you that on a couple of my group trips, I have had travelers that ended up in the ER for different reasons. So let's talk about that. There can be medical emergencies that can be scary enough even while you're at home. But when you're traveling, and you're traveling domestically or abroad, it can be more frightening. There's times when people take falls on their tours and they have a fracture and there's scrapes and bruises. And, or just a simple, well, not simple, but an allergy reaction to a food item or medications will end up having them in the um in the emergency room, they require some treatment. Yeah. So the best thing is is for you to prepare for that in case there is an emergency while you're traveling. Well, what should you do before you travel? Because again, you don't know that you're going to end up in the ER, but certainly if you are a well-planned traveler, it can certainly mm-hmm. help if you wind up there. Well, you should think about this while you're packing that is before you leave for your trip. So, because there could always be a possible medical emergency during your vacation. You can start by thinking about bringing paperwork. So now that we're traveling with passport, it's a good idea to have with your passport, your medical history, if you have one, and definitely an allergy history, so that you can have this information available if you should end up in the emergency room. Now, you can bring it, if you haven't been able to make copies of it, to leave in your luggage, you can download them and scan them into your electronics, like your cell phone, or even your electronic devices, like an iPad. You can just pull them up immediately while you're in the emergency, having some care done. So, if you do end up in the emergency room, one thing that you will be doing, specifically if you're traveling abroad, the first thing they are going to look at is your passport. If there is an emergency, like who you are, who's your emergency contact, who can they contact your consulate of the United States, that is, and see if there's information in the system about you. Sometimes you go in and register with the site, it may require you to put medical history in there. So if you have chronic illnesses like hypertension or diabetes, all that information will be in that system of the consulate. Oh, that's really good to know. And yes, connecting with the consulate and that medical history, 
I don't know if every single hospital or medical facility has it, but having online access to your medical records, a lot of them use my chart. So no matter which hospital you on, that particular hospital may have my chart or your doctor's office may have access to your online records. And that's something that if you have your account that you can sign into, makes it a little bit easier than carting around your paperwork, but that you have that access to it. But also making sure you have access to it offline, I think, because you may not be able to get online to access that information. Right. And that's true. But the only problem that could be happen with my chart is all systems do not talk to each other. So if you're at one facility, they may not be able to pull that information up, but you can pull that information up. I do it all the time on my my laptop or my cell phone. I have the app for my chart, and I can always pull whatever information up, whatever facility would like to see. But if they were to try and pull it up on their own, once again, it doesn't have that communication of information from another facility would not be able to be obtained. Right. And you may be incapacitated and not able to have it. So it is a good idea if you can to have that hard copy like you mentioned, but also scanning those things in your mobile device as well will really hurt. What are some of the other things we should do and preparations we should make before we travel? You should always have a list of your prescription medications. Bring that along with you and or the prescription bottle. When you arrive to your facility or whatever hotel that you're staying at, you probably should do this prior to leaving. Get familiar with the landscape of that hotel. If there's emergency hospitals or clinics in the vicinity, some things that I do prior to leaving or even when I arrive to the hotel, I kind of make myself aware of emergency exits or if there's like stores and pharmacies nearby, or you can always talk to the hotel, the front desk to gather more information. Or even if you have an acute injury or illness or reaction, can something be expedited in terms of you getting medical care or a physician coming to the hotel to see you, nice. to care for you before they can expedite your care to a facility, a hospital down the street or miles away. So you should kind of get familiar with Now, once again, if you have a chronic illness, I would definitely be doing something like this. And so that if it's something that you can manage to avoid having to go to the emergency room looking for those local facilities or those that are immediately by. Yeah, if you have a chronic condition, you really, really have to be prepared and plan ahead. Now, one thing I do recommend is if you are traveling abroad, you should download a translator app. So you can have some form of communication with the person delivering the care to you. And you should download it prior to leaving home and you should practice on it before you do your traveling. So you'll be able to operate it if you need to use it. Yeah, I keep it on my phone so that I always have it. And they have changed so much. And what I love about them now is you can say what you want to say in English and it will actually repeat it in the foreign language so you don't have to struggle with trying to say it yourself. So yes, that translator app is very, very important. And it's good to have whether you wind up in ER or not. But I know Gene, when he went to the emergency room in Dominican Republic, he said the doctors and the head nurses, some of them spoke English, but a lot of the other staff did not. So it's very important that you're able to communicate. And you can also do some things on your own prior to leaving home. You can pack things like bandages or antiseptic creams and ointments just for um, simple injuries before you can get to a hospital or a medical center so that they can take care of you a little bit more, provide a little bit more higher level of care. Yes, one of the lists and shows that we did previously was that RX bag. So we can certainly revisit that and make sure that we post it on the site with a list of those things that you should have in your travel RX bag. You probably consider traveler's insurance. When you're preparing just in case you require some care in another country and the insurance may be able to get you home safely and so you can get a higher level of care or something that you're most used to, 
and also even the care in the other country. To be honest with you, I'm not sure if your own insurance will be able to take care of the cost. And I do know some countries you have to pay out of pocket. It really depends on your health care coverage, but most do not cover you outside of the United States. Some won't even cover you outside of your state. So it's very important to know whether or not it includes it. Now, some insurances have separate travel riders that you can add to your policy. So certainly if you're somebody who travels a lot or just like you would buy a traveler's insurance, it's something that you can add on for a particular trip. The other thing is with traveler's insurance. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons that I get insurance is to make sure that I have health insurance coverage because my standard health care does not cover if something happens. So it will cover those hospitalizations and that includes the emergency room and those things can be pretty hefty. I know when Jean went to the emergency room for just two days, the bill was more than $3,000. And that was completely covered by the travel insurance because it happened while he was away. And the other part, and I know you were gonna talk about this more, but part of travel insurance covers medevac, and that can be a life or death situation. Like you said, that can be extremely expensive because it wasn't planned for you to leave at that time, and they're trying to get you back as soon as possible. And it's private. A lot of times it's private. I remember the gentleman in Dominican Republic, the hospital discharged him because they couldn't assist him any longer. However, the airline would not accept him. He was too ill to fly. And I mean, airlines have the right to do that. They did not think that he would be able to safely fly. So they rejected him. He did not have traveler's insurance, but if he had, he could have gotten a medevac flight to New York. And that would have cost about $30,000. Wow. But that travel insurance would have covered that. So very, very important traveler's insurance and they provide assistance. So you could do one-stop shopping basically when you call that number, they can assist you with getting you to the hospital or taking care of those kind of things and those translator things that we talked about too. So travel insurance is very, very important. So what else should we know about our health care and the health care in other countries or well, the need for it? It can be pretty comparable to the health care that we have here in your own country in the United States, but it depends where you are. It depends if you're in urban areas, if it depends if you're in little villages and how they can like expedite you to somewhere where you can get standard care. So I wouldn't say, you know, it's any less care that you do receive in the United States. But some people from the United States go to other countries for certain care. So it can be very comparable. I mean, if you go to places like China and Germany, they have innovative equipment, just as we do here in the United States, that can care for you just as well. Well, there's a whole segment in the industry where people just travel for Mm -hmm. medical procedures. So absolutely, those are available. One thing that you should do, if you do become ill, you probably should have someone assist you to get in touch with the embassy so that they can have a record of what has happened. And also, the embassy can try to expedite you back to your own country, back to the United States. They can get involved. Yes, they can. There is the STEP program that I make sure that I register all of my groups for and I register myself for when I'm traveling abroad as well. And it stands for Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. And then that way you're registering with the State Department and they have all of your information and can assist you with emergency contacts. They don't pay for anything for you, but they are there to assist you as an American citizen, connect with all the necessary people that you need to connect with. And one thing I do recommend also, if you do have insurance, you should call them prior to leaving, just to get an idea if there would be any coverage whatsoever, if something were to happen to you while you're traveling abroad. 
And one other thing I want to say about traveler's insurance, more and more countries are requiring you to have traveler's insurance because sometimes travelers are taxing their healthcare systems and it winds up being expensive because if somebody leaves the country and doesn't pay, you know, they may not ever recoup that. So some countries are now requiring that you have traveler's insurance with certain minimums before you can fly into their country. So contacting the local embassy and how to contact the U.S. embassy Now, what about those travel plans if you need to head home early? Because a lot of times those emergencies mean that you have to head home or you have to cut your trip short. If you have to cut your trip short, you always can do this prior to leaving. Go online and register with the United States State Department. You can do this online and give them your information about where you're traveling, how long you're going to be away. And all of this information can be pulled up where if something were to happen to you, they can assist you to the nearest airport. It can probably be a commercial airport to get you to the nearest major city airport where you can fly out. What happens if you actually go to ER? What is that like and what should you know? There is a chance that you do end up in the ER in another country or even here domestically. Things that you need to remember to do is tell them exactly what happened. I mean, this is the only way that they can build a story to best begin to plan your treatment and care. So the goal is for them to expeditiously provide speedy recovery and care for you for your acute illness. And in doing so, you need to give them a history. Okay, I fell. Okay, did you hit your head? Okay, depending on how you fell, what was injured, that would determine what type of test they're going to do for you immediately. And if you possibly will require some form of surgery or patching up in terms of a broken leg or heart. And also, if it's okay for you to fly. I mean, in my facility, we get patients all the time, tourists who hurt themselves because we're in a tourist hub area. And people fall, they break their legs, and a lot of times... They tell them they don't recommend them flying for the next day or two. And we'll hear the patients say, I was supposed to get on a plane tomorrow to head back to my country or something like that, but it's not recommended for them to fly at that time. And again, that's why it's important for you to have travel insurance, because if you need to extend your stay, you need to stay in a hotel another night or two, that will be covered as well. Exactly. So just be prepared if you do end up to answer a lot of questions, specifically Like I said, what happened, give them your health history, your medical history, any previous surgery histories, any allergies, last meals that you had and whatever you had to drink prior. And be prepared to have some blood samples drawn. We need to know what your electrolyte levels are and your blood count levels. And also, just know you will be stuck with a needle. They want to do that to get an IV in to begin some hydration One of the things you always say is to make sure you stay hydrated. So these are the standards that are to be considered when you go to an ER, and those are standard practices around the globe? Yes, these are the standards. They're going to, most likely you'll have x-rays, and you're going to have definitely have blood drawn, and you definitely will have an IV put in into your arm, and that requires a needle stick. I did have a client one time that had an injury in Italy. And so their system, you will have public hospitals versus private hospitals. And then in other countries, you have hospitals that cater more to international, or they'll have what's called an international hospital versus their regular public hospital. And that means that that international hospital is in need of translation and so forth. So what to know if you are required to have a short-term hospitalization? Short-term hospital stays will require you as patient to be patient. I'm just going to say that because I know if you have an injury and a lot of people, they just do not want to go to the hospital. They want to avoid that at all costs. But you're there They're going to take care of you, but just have some patience with the medical system. You're going to have different people coming in from time to time asking you pretty much the same questions, but just go ahead and give them the history and just be patient with them while they put up a plan for your care so you can get out of there. Also, just know that healing takes some time. 
So don't think that now that your leg is all patched up from your fall, that you're going to be able to go on the next tour and you may not be able to do that. So just relax, take advantage of it and get some rest. I know it might feel like a little inconvenience by you being in the hospital, but it might help with you to settle down a little bit and have some rest. But take some time and, and you have a little patience with the system, okay? okay? And you should be able to feel better thereafter. Now, what about long-term, other than cost, <laughs> that we know is a difference is what is required for long-term and what should we know? Is that any different from what we should know short-term? Well, long-term is going to be very similar to short-term. However, you might begin to get a little antsy because your hospital stay might be a little longer and you just feel like you just need to get out. It's kind of like a recent patient of this country. I don't know. I don't want to bring up their name. They were very antsy and wanted to get out of the hospital and stated how great they felt. But, yeah, you do feel great, but they're still requiring you to rest up and they're still working you up to make sure everything is fine for you to leave. Especially you're on vacation, so that also means that you have to fly back home in most cases. What you can do in that case is you can take some time and figure out your plan for returning home. So while you're in the hospital, I think that would be a good time if you're going to continue with your trip or you're going to decide to go home. At that time, you can start making phone calls, having the medical team help you, assist you with trying to return home. And I have seen that here at the facility that I work at. Like I said, we have tourists who hurt themselves and they're hospitalized. And I do hear the doctor say, well, we can help you arrange or we can talk to someone in the city who your doctor is and contact them and let them know what's happening. So there are resources. So I suggest that you use them. Yeah, and it's very important to have an emergency contact person. Now, this is a person who's not traveling with you, but somebody that you can correspond with. They can take care of personal affairs at home should you need that assistance. And they can communicate with you and your primary doctor given permission by you to let them know what's happening and maybe even have the hospital communicate with your primary care physician, but that person can really assist you. And if you're identifying an emergency contact person, just make sure you have their information with you and make sure that they know the responsibilities of being an emergency contact person in advance of your trip. Now, what about discharge and getting home? You know, I did want to say in your passport, there's a page that asks for a contact person. So, Hopefully, you filled out that page prior to you leaving, and that information is also registered with the State Department and the consulate. You know, some people don't even sign their passport. Oftentimes, I tell my travelers, did you sign your passport? Because without it, it can be somewhat of a problem. But a lot of people don't even realize there's a signature page, and you should sign your passport. So, yeah, yeah, and fill out that emergency contact information. Some airlines are now asking upon check-in for an emergency contact as well. Now, in terms of discharge and going home, just know that you will get, well, you may have prescriptions written. So find out, you know, where the nearest pharmacy is so you can have your prescriptions taken care of. You can have those for your therapy while you're discharged. And also, you might be taught how to change dressing bandages and stuff to your wounds. So you want to take, listen up with that and also ask questions. Ask all questions that you need just so you can be clear about your care at home. Information like next time you can shower, when you should follow up with your care, the next time you should do that, and whom you should follow up with. And whatever other pressing questions you might have, patients have a lot of questions before leaving, but it's so funny that they don't ask them. (laughs) Then they end up back in the emergency room. So ask all your questions before you leave and they will be more than happy to provide whatever information they need to provide to you. And then what should we do upon our return? Well, typically on your return home, you definitely need to see your personal care physician, your PCP, and let them know what happened so that they can follow up. There may be more tests they need to order for you or put you on different medication and also look at wounds. You may have to have an additional surgery. 
you never know, but definitely follow up with your personal doctor. Yeah, and about that discharge, making sure you keep that paperwork and then you hand it over to your doctor as well. It may be in a different language, though. Well, you can also yeah, that and make sure you request the paperwork prior to leaving. Don't have them mail it to you, scan it to you. Try and get the physical paper before you're discharged. Absolutely. Well, Yolanda, thank you so much. As always, very informative and much needed information, certainly if your vacation sends you to the ER. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to that website and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report on an onsen. To give you an idea of what it is, I'll tell you that it is a Japanese word, but I'll let my guests tell you all about it. That's what it is, when, where, and how you have an onsen experience. Kate Liebelt is on the line with me. She is an avid traveler and she loves all things Japanese. Hello, Kate, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. Thank you for having me on. It is such a pleasure because I always hear you talk about Japan, and I always see on your social media posts everything about Japan. (laughs) And one thing that caught my interest was an onsen, and that's something that you're very passionate about and you want to really spread the word about. So what is an onsen? You know my passion for certainly Japan, Japanese culture, and the Japanese onsen experience. And I'll just mention that I lived in Japan for a number of years growing up, so it really is a place that is near and dear to my heart. So the word onsen is, as you mentioned, Japanese, and it literally means hot springs. And so this is a natural bath that is geothermally heated. Onsen occur naturally throughout Japan. As you know, it sits on the Pacific Rim, and Japan experiences a high degree of volcanic activity and earthquakes. It's a really active country. But yeah, you know, onsen are are a big part of Japanese culture, and they're really viewed as a place for not just bathing and cleaning, cleansing, but also rejuvenating and contemplating and really healing. I know they're hot springs and there's a lot of natural ones, but do they also have some man-made ones? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So, you know, as mentioned, bathing culture is very popular, almost a weekly activity, right? Where, where it's very natural for Japanese individuals, families, groups of friends to go out for a bathing experience at an onsen, so kind of natural outdoor hot springs, or man-made. And the man-made baths can be outdoor or indoor. And it's interesting, over time, especially around the natural onsen, resorts and hotels and traditional Japanese inns called ryokan are built around the natural onsen or man-made onsen. So it really becomes this kind of destination experience, you know, folks will make a day of it or afternoon of it even, or, you know, a multi-day vacation and really get the full experience of bathing and eating traditional Japanese cuisine, taking in the natural beauty in the area. So it's really a full experience. So now you mentioned the hotels and the inns and the traditional properties that are either built around or they have some that they have built themselves. So are they private or public or is that a combination of the two? It's really a combination. 
some onsen, particularly natural onsen, that, you know, have a ryokan or hotel, resort kind of connected, will typically be private, but there are certainly also public onsen as well, both, you know, natural and man-made. It really will depend on whether you're in more of an urban area, suburban, rural area, you know, obviously the type of foot traffic that a particular area will get, but... Generally, I think most onsen, even those connected to the hotels, are often kind of pay for a a day pass or an afternoon pass, if you will. So most are pretty accessible to the public. Oh, that's always good to know, to have a nice day trip that you can relax and unwind and kind of get away from it all in that natural environment. So where can you experience in Austin? Are there certain places in Japan that have more of them than others. Yes, I did mention, you know, onsen are all over Japan, but to your point, there are definitely certain prefectures, which are like a state in the United States, and certain cities where there will be more naturally occurring onsen than others. So one area that comes to my mind is Beppu, and that's spelled B-E-P-P-U, Beppu. It's pretty popular. It's in southeastern Japan, And they have a lot of naturally occurring hot springs. But again, you know, if you think about it anywhere, particularly on the eastern seaboard of Japan, but really across certainly the mainland Honshu, where you have those younger and older volcanoes, you will have those naturally occurring onsen. But definitely that Bapu area, certainly around like Kyushu, southern Japan, those are quite popular destinations for hot springs, not only because of the springs, but the natural surrounding beauty as well. And is it something that you can experience here in the United States? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I've done a little research just on, you know, hot springs around the world. And certainly there are hot springs naturally occurring even right here in the United States. Of course, to really experience a traditional Japanese onsen and you'll need to go to Japan. That said, I did want to mention that there's also a Japanese word called uh, sento, and that's spelled S-E-N-T-O. And that is a bathhouse. Typically in kind of an indoor complex, you'll find them particularly large sento in cities. Now, sento and onsen are a bit different because sento really focuses on more of a kind of cleansing cleaning, kind of hygiene, kind of for wellness, and not so much of that kind of contemplative, restorative, natural beauty experience. You know, they're man-made, they're indoors. Now, interestingly, Sento are very influenced by the Korean bathhouses. And, you know, you'll find that there are these Korean-influenced bathhouses in the U.S. An example would be King Spa, I'm based in Chicago, and there's a King Spa just north of the city, and that's a bathhouse complex that has hot baths, pool baths, scented baths, saunas, steam rooms, oxygen rooms, meditation rooms. I mean, it's really just this kind of cornucopia, if you will, of different experiences in a bathhouse. So I think there are definitely, at least in the U.S., experiences similar to the Japanese onsen, but I really encourage everyone to go to Japan at least once to try a a real onsen. How do we experience onsen? You know, there's always a guide to or the do's and don'ts to get the best experiences. The first time you go to a Japanese onsen, obviously in Japan, there's some unique elements and aspects, and it's helpful to go with someone who's maybe been before, but I'll try to kind of walk you through some of the key things to keep in mind. So plan at least four or five hours a day if you can, even better. The onsen is connected to Ryokan, reserve a night or two. Another thing to keep in mind is be prepared to leave your cell phone in a locker. Typically, you cannot bring your cell phones into the bathing area. You might be able to bring them into the relaxation room or the dining area, but be prepared to turn that cell phone off and leave it in your locker. Upon entry to the onsen complex, if you will, or even the ryokan, you will undoubtedly be asked to take your shoes off upon entry and trade in your shoes for a pair of slippers. 
and then you'll proceed to the locker room and the locker rooms are separated by sex. Most of the time the bathing areas are also single sex as well. Something you'll want to keep in mind when you go to a traditional Japanese onsen or even sento is if you have a tattoo, you may want to double check to make sure you can enter. Both onsen and sento sometimes have rules that prohibit folks with tattoos to enter. So go to your locker room, leave your belongings behind, grab a small modesty towel, perhaps another small towel to wrap around your head to protect your hair and keep the steam around your head. And a big, big rule in Japanese onsen or sento is that you want to take a shower, clean and scrub before entering the bath. And there will always be kind of a shower area right upon entry to the baths where you will be provided shampoo, body soap, you can bring your own. But in Japanese culture, it's very important to essentially cleanse yourself before you go into the bath. Another thing to just keep in mind is, you know, don't be self-conscious. Typically, it maybe takes, you know, the first 30 minutes or so (laughs) to just feel comfortable, you know, walking around with that small modesty towel. But in time, you know, you really just relax and kind of you know, forget the fact that you only have that towel (laughs) to keep yourself modest. Where do you go from here as far as onsen and Japanese bath essentials go? During COVID-19, you know, it's certainly been time to reflect on some of the places I've traveled where I've most enjoyed myself and found the most peace and calm. And so several months ago, had the idea to create an Instagram social account to kind of capture the experience, at least digitally, of onsen and kind of show how we can, you know, wherever we are in the world, quarantined or not, kind of incorporate some of those elements of onsen in our own homes. So relaxation, rejuvenation, taking time out for yourself. And it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of historical Japanese art that kind of depicts that onsen experience, that idea of being one with nature and water. And so the Instagram account Zen of Bathing really aims to capture that Japanese aesthetic, that Japanese focus on the culture of wellness and bathing. And again, draw elements from that into our own homes, whether it's certain Japanese bathing products or such as those Italy towels I mentioned or fragrances to incorporate into bath or just the ritual of having a soak and just taking that time for yourself, um, because gosh, we all know that we need that precious protected time to stay healthy. Yes, definitely staying grounded and connecting with our spirituality. So again, on your Instagram account, it's Zen of Bathing. So you can certainly follow Kate and everything about onsen and how you can bring that into your life. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. It was great speaking with you, Javon. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.